In the name of Jesus, amen. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God hates pride, and being proud, conceited, arrogant, haughty, and boastful is the sin that makes you most like the devil, because pride was the devil's original sin, the sin that made him fall from heaven. When the Bible talks about pride, it talks about height and specifically being up and above. So to be proud means to think highly of yourself, to lift yourself up to the level of God, to lift yourself above others. To be proud means not only to be discontent with who God has called you to be and for, uh, what he has told you to do, but it also means seeking to be something other than what you are and doing things that he didn't give you to do. And whoever does this resists God's word. And if you, re- you resist God's word, God will resist you. Now, the, the word translated as resist doesn't really convey the meaning too well in this verse. When I hear, in, uh, when I hear this word, I, it brings to mind a little kid or a little child trying to arm wrestle his father and the father is just holding his arms still and not letting his kid win and he's just resisting that defeat. But that's not the case here. The Greek word for resist here is uh, antitasetai, which comes from two smaller words. And the first word is anti, which means against. And the second word is tasso, which means to set yourself up for battle. So the text is really saying that God sets himself up for battle against the proud. And if you've been paying attention to anything that's gone on since the beginning of the world, you'll see that God has never lost a battle or a fight, even when it comes to the appearance of God losing the death there on the cross at the death of Christ. He himself says, I lay my life down in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So even the cross wasn't something that happened to Jesus. Jesus was something that happened to the cross. Setting yourself up against God is the most foolish thing you can do. As Job says, who can oppose him? So to complete the analogy of arm wrestling, it's not simply saying that God will not let his arm be moved, but that he will slam it down against anyone who sets themselves up against him or his children. And this is what the Virgin Mary thanked God for when she sang the Magnificat. He says, God cast down the mighty from their thrones, but he lifts up the humble. So to be prideful is foolish. And this is the problem with pride, that we can't see pride. We can't measure pride in our hearts. And there's no external law that can regulate this. So, for example, the government can't pass a law that says it's illegal to think too highly of yourself. Or a sheriff can't tell his police, look, arrest everyone who is too arrogant. There's no way to regulate such a thing. And that's precisely why we brush it aside as if it's something not to worry about. As if it's something that doesn't really deserve our attention or any correction. Because pride is found in the heart, in desires, and in thoughts. But just because we can't see or measure pride... It doesn't mean we can't see its effects. We can see prideful deeds. And we can hear prideful words. 
So here's a surefire way to spot a prideful person. You can tell if you're infected with pride if after that last sentence you thought of someone else. That's the mark of pride. If you want to see how much pride is in your heart, just keep count of all of the times that you think of other people whenever you hear the law of God. When you hear sin rebuked from the pulpit, when you hear the scriptures point out the wicked deeds, when you hear hymns preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near, when you hear these things and if the first person you think of is someone else, then you have arrogance coursing through your veins. This is because when it comes to the law and sin and condemnation, we are quick to point it out in others. And when we hear the gospel and righteousness and forgiveness, we're so quick to apply it to ourselves so conveniently. Instead of using the law as a mirror to look at the log that is in our own eye, we use it many times like a magnifying glass to find a speck of dust that's in our neighbor's eye. So the reason the proud think of others when God talks about their sin is because they don't want to admit their own sin. The proud, conceited, and arrogant set themselves against God by not admitting their sin. They don't confess it. They don't repent. And since they don't want to admit their sin, that their sin is sin, then they won't receive the forgiveness that God gives for that sin. So keep it in mind and never forget it. Whatever sin you refuse to call sin, whatever sin you refuse to confess, will not be forgiven. So keep in mind, I'm not talking about the falsehood of the enumeration of sins. I'm not saying that you have to name all of your sins that you've ever committed one by one. And if you forget one or don't name one, you're going to suffer in purgatory, the made up place. I'm talking about that when your sin is blatantly called out and rebuked. You instead, instead of choosing to repent, you defend it or explain it away. And that's what will not be forgiven. And it won't be forgiven, not because Christ didn't die for it but because you refuse to believe and confess that Christ died for that sin by denying that it's even a sin. If you excuse your sin, then know also that you excuse yourself from this table and the heavenly banquet of forgiveness because this table is only for sinners. When you stubbornly refuse to admit the truth, to confess your sin and to acknowledge that you indeed were completely and utterly wrong, then it's because the devil has led you down a terrible path, promising things to you that he can never give you. The devil promises you a soft pillow at night and a clean conscience if you simply ignore and you defend your sin. But it's a lie. Because there's no peace in stubbornness, and there's no rest to hardening your heart. When you go down the path of hardening your heart to God's word, then you'll have to continue to harden your heart until the end of your life just to simply cope with the guilt and the pain that comes with it. Each day you'll become worse than the day you were before, more unloving, more bitter, more angry, more faithless, more withdrawn, until you're gone. You can tell you're falling into the abyss when your sins are called out and instead of repenting, you try to point out other people's sins. And this is foolishness. 
It's like a cop, for example, pulling you over for speeding. And then just instead of admitting that you were speeding, you say, well, other people are speeding too. <laughs> and other people are doing a lot worse things than I am. So you should go after them. And my sin wasn't that bad. I, my speeding wasn't that bad. But that's not the point. You got caught. And that won't hold up in court. And the pathetic attempt to self-justify won't hold up on judgment day either. When God casts you down from your throne. Today, God's law caught you. And there's only one way out. Ash Wednesday is not a day to think of other people. It's not a day to think of all the ways others have wronged you or slandered you or looked at you funny. It's not a day to point your finger or to look down on others or to scoff and to mock at those who try to correct you. Today, to think of yourself, to think of your sin, to think of all the ways that you have wronged others, all the ways that you have spoken ill of others, all the ways that you have added insult to injury and poured salt on the wounds of the people God placed around you. Today to remember that the ashes on your forehead are there because you earned them. The wages of sin is death. You're wearing on your forehead what you will soon become. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Soon, your heart will stop beating. Your mind will stop thinking. Your lungs will stop breathing. And everything you hold in your hands will turn to dust. Soon the body you have now teeming with so much life will come to a screeching halt. Be paralyzed in the sleep of death and disintegrate into the dirt of the earth once it came. So, repent. Stop being prideful and stubborn. Don't look down on others. Instead, learn to hang your head in shame because of your sin. Remember that the ashes on your forehead mean nothing unless you have the ashes on your heart. And you heap ashes on your heart when you admit your sin, confess it, and repent of it. So turn away from looking at others' sins and pointing out their faults and turn your eyes to your own heart. All of the evil that you see in this world, look and see that it's first in your heart also. All the hurtful things that others have done to you, look and see that you've done them too. Don't focus on the degree that it was done to you or how much damage it caused others. Focus on the fact that sin in your heart is indeed sin and that sin is what God hates. And once you've been honest with yourself and realistic and truthful, once you see all the terrible things pumping through your veins, once you see how all of your sin has earned the wrath of God, then lift up your head. Stop looking at your heart because there's nothing to look at anymore. Turn your back on your sin and look to the cross with eyes of faith. Behold, Christ, the Son of God, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, bleeding and suffering and sighing and dying for you. There, see that while you were still looking at everyone else's sin, God was forgiving yours. 
while you were thinking of excuses and reasons for your own transgressions, God was erasing them from the mind of your heavenly Father. Look up and see that Christ has created a clean heart in you by putting all of your sin in his and bleeding it out from the cross. Fix your eyes on him alone. Gaze at his wounds. See everything he went through because of your sin and see everything he went through because of his great love for you. See that even though you have pridefully set yourself up against God in sin, Christ stood between you and the Father and brought peace to this earth. He appeased the wrath of God against your sin as he humbled himself and became obedient unto death on a cross, as he cast himself down from his own throne in heaven into the grave for your sake. Christ stands as your mediator, and he presents you as holy and blameless in the sight of God your Father. He's made you blameless in his sight, and he has made God pleased with you because of his blood and righteousness. So yes, God sets himself against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're still proud after hearing all of this, then God will cast you down into condemnation. God will not be mocked. But if you are humiliated by this word, if you've been humbled by the self-donation of Christ, then rejoice. Because it's Christ who gave you his grace here today. Because the same God who has spoken these words of judgment is the same God who speaks these words of forgiveness. He erases the dust and the ashes on your forehead and heart with the spirit in the font and the blood in the cup. And as Christ scrubs off those sins from your flesh, go and live in that forgiveness and joy and bear fruits worthy of repentance that he has blessed you with. Go and make things right with all of those who you've sinned against. Go forgive those who have sinned against you. Go and be reconciled and speak to them the peace of God that he spoke to you here tonight. You have no reason to exalt yourself over anyone else anymore because God has exalted you through faith in Christ. So consider everyone else to be worth more than yourself, more valuable than you are. Win them back and show them how gracious and loving and merciful God is. Live a life of repentance and a life of forgiveness the way that God has given and forgiven you. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. Oh God, you resist the proud and give grace to the humble. So grant everyone here at Zion, of your dear church, humility in the likeness of your only Son, Jesus Christ. Help us never to be arrogant and prideful and thus provoke your wrath, but make us humble and meek and lowly to be partakers of your kingdom, of the gifts of your grace. Grant it to us, Heavenly Father. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.